This is The Guardian. I'm Jane Lee, coming to you from Wurundjeri Land, and this is The Full Story. It's never been easier to get food and groceries delivered right to your door. But at what cost? We want them to have some minimum standards. Because while we all love the technology, it's got to be possible to have 21st century technology without having 19th century working conditions. Food delivery and rideshare apps have long been criticised for underpaying the people who work for them and for creating dangerous working conditions in which 13 delivery drivers have died in Australia. Now, Labor is introducing a bill with minimum pay standards for hundreds of thousands of gig workers. So how will this plan protect them? And does it go far enough? Maybe Uber Eatsing or door dashing a a McFlurry and a large fries from McDonald's is not economically worthwhile. And maybe that sort of thing should be priced out. Today, Chief Political Correspondent Paul Karp on the new rules of the gig economy. It's Monday, the 4th of September. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Our guest today will be proposing a second tranche of reforms. To unveil them today, please welcome Tony Burke to address us. Paul, Labor is introducing a new bill into Parliament today that aims to strengthen the rights of gig workers. Legislation which I'll be introducing after question time on Monday, and it will be called the Closing Loopholes Bill. If it gets passed, what could this mean both for gig workers and for consumers? Well, we might be paying more for home-delivered food, including pizza, and more to hop in an Uber or other rideshare. But the Workplace Relations Minister, Tony Burke, would say that a tiny bit extra is a small price to pay for better conditions that improve safety in the gig economy, which is the aim, one of the main aims of the Closing Loopholes Bill. When you say, oh, could there be a pass-through to somebody getting the pizza delivered to their home? Well, underpaying people is cheaper. Yeah, it is. Slavery is probably cheaper too. Yeah, there is some modest pass-through here. We are talking about some of the lowest-paid people in Australia. So this legislation is, is really about giving the Fair Work Commission to drag all platforms up to the same standard rather than, you know, relying on unions to negotiate with them one by one. Unions and other advocates have been calling for reforms to better protect gig workers for many years now. But I guess the pressure grew for governments to act after a number of deaths occurred in this sector. Can you remind us what happened? Yeah, this has been happening for years now where food delivery drivers that are using apps like Uber and Hungry Panda 
before they left the Australian market, Deliveroo, they are employed under an independent contractor model where they're not employees that are given minimum rights like pay. Mm. And that arguably creates an incentive if you're not paid for every hour that you work, but rather every delivery that you make, you want to try and deliver as as many as possible in as short a space of time as possible. And it incentivizes behavior like, you know, running red lights or going up on the curb. And for the gig worker who we've all seen, who is currently out there running red lights, going up onto the footpath, down onto the road, on the road, creating an extra lane between the parked cars and the traffic, knowing that at any moment, if a car door opens, instead of riding between the lanes, they'll be lying beneath the traffic, they'll have some minimum standards. They'll have some minimum standards. And that's so far caused an estimated 13 deaths from delivery drivers in in the gig economy, and and that's really the problem they're trying to tackle. Mm. Closing these loopholes will change their lives. When apps like Uber and Hungry Panda came into the market, they argued that the gig economy would be great for workers because it allowed them to have more flexibility around the hours they worked as independent contractors. What is the union's argument against that business model? Well, flexibility can have some benefits uh, to workers in terms of choosing when they work and earning additional income. But unions and labour would say that a lot of the flexibility is to the employer's benefit in the sense that they can give you deliveries, but then if there are gaps where their deliveries don't need to be made, you're not getting paid. If you have, you know, one irate customer who's, you know, more annoyed at the at the restaurant for being late than they are the driver, they might give you a low rating and then you might be booted off and you lose your income. Mm. So this uh, extreme flexibility is so often in favour of the employer being able to dispose of the worker whenever they want rather than it is for the benefit of, of those people uh, working in the gig economy. So what are some of the key changes that Labor's proposing in this new bill? At the moment, people are either categorised as employees, in which case they get all kinds of minimum rights, including the minimum wage, uh, or they're independent contractors. They're, you know, small business people working for themselves because they're supposed to have autonomy over, over when and how they work. Now, Labor argues that really if you are someone who, you know, derives a lot of your income through this one platform, uh, then that shows a level of dependence on the platform that's very similar to having an employer uh, and that those workers are employee-like. And because they have some of the features of employees in that they're not totally independent, they need to have some of the basic protections of employees like minimum pay, like insurance and recourse against deactivation. Deactivation being the gig economy equivalent to being dismissed from a job where the app just says, well, thanks for driving for us, but you're no longer a driver for for this platform. You're you're off. And how close is this new class of employee-like worker to an actual employee? Well, the Fair Work Commission has to be satisfied of two steps. One, that you're working for a digital platform. And secondly, that you have some other vulnerability, whether that is low authority over your work 
low bargaining power or low pay in that you earn less than an employee doing the same job. So those are the tests that they're going to apply to work out whether a gig economy worker is employee-like. When we talk about gig workers, we, we typically think about food delivery drivers and rideshare drivers. Who else could benefit from these changes? So the three sectors that uh, Tony Burke mentioned on Thursday were food delivery, ride-sharing and the care economy uh, because there is a very prominent gig platform known as Mabel, uh, which provides services to NDIS participants and aged care services um, by connecting them with independent contractors that provide the service. So those are the ones that are in the frame at the moment. In his speech, Burke said that it probably wouldn't apply to tradies uh, on Airtasker, um, but there, it is still unclear how far and which platforms this is going to apply to. So that's why we said, OK, instead of should the test be who sets the price, the test should be what do the workers look like? And if the worker is, I gave those three examples all dealing with the word low, low bargaining power, low control, low pay. If you look at those features, that tells you who's going to be employee-like. And once you look at it that way, businesses like Mabel come in, businesses like Airtasker fall out. Because when I asked why Mabel in but Airtasker out, he explained that they couldn't draw a bright line to say that all platforms that allow workers to set their own rates are exempt um, because then you would have a situation where an app that competes with Uber would allow the drivers to set their own rates and that would just continue uh, continue uh, the race to the bottom and, and the undercutting of, of conditions if that was a get-out-of-jail-free card. So instead, the Fair Work Commission is going to have to look at those factors about low authority over your work, low bargaining power and low pay, and they're going to have to look at each, each platform and each type of worker on it. So I, I think it's very possible that you could see someone on Airtasker who is a tradie, who's highly independent, who brings their own tools to the job and gets jobs outside of Airtasker being categorised as, no, you're completely a contractor, none of this applies to you. But it's it's possible that, you know, uh, an NDIS uh, care worker uh, could be found to be employee-like regardless of whether or not they they find their work on Mabel or Airtasker or other platforms. Are there any risks in creating this new category of worker? Could companies potentially find ways around this classification for their staff? They could, a, no, a number of things might happen. It might force some platforms to leave the Australian market. It might force some platforms to say, oh, it's not worth the risk, so we're just going to hire people as their employees, as if they're employees. Others might try and persist with the independent contractor model and run the risk that they'll have to go to the Fair Work Commission and, and find out that they have to pay insurance and, and minimum rates of pay. Mm. And, so, you know, they, there are other risks as well, including passing the costs on to the, uh, on to the consumer. There are risks. Another one is is innovation about, like, whether whether or not you would set up a platform in in this way at all, knowing that there's the risk that you could go to the Fair Work Commission. So some people are arguing that this will reduce innovation to begin with. Well, how have rideshare and food delivery businesses responded to the proposed changes so far? 
Uber has already agreed in principle uh, a few months ago. This has been a long-running negotiation, first with the Transport Workers Union and then through input with the government uh, on this set of reforms. So I, I think they have accepted that they're going to have to move to this. Uh, other platforms like DoorDash have said that they're going to wait to see the detail uh, when the bill is introduced and have warned of unintended consequences so that, that there is a a range of, of perspectives. Mabel, the care economy platform, has been the most aggressive in rejecting these changes. They think it's inappropriate to describe them as, as part of the gig economy. Um, they think that uh, the workers that are on there providing care services are genuinely independent contractors and there's no distinction between them and a platform uh, like Airtasker. So they think they should be exempt from it. If delivery drivers are able to push for higher rates of pay from now on, could it mean job losses, as some of the businesses argue? I think the idea of job losses is a bit more far-fetched. It's really only the the absolute most marginal um, jobs that would be pushed off the edge. I mean, maybe we'll have to get to the point in our culture where it's okay to order delivery food uh, for several people or one large order for one person. But maybe, you know, maybe Uber Eatsing or door dashing uh, a McFlurry and a large fries from McDonald's is not economically worthwhile. And maybe that sort of thing should be priced out and we shouldn't be mourning the loss of the job of one person at the margin who's delivering some some piddly amount of food. I think I think it's quite marginal. Next, the true price of convenience. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. We consumers have become pretty dependent on the convenience of these kinds of apps to deliver us food and to bring us rideshare services. Do you think we've kind of been partly responsible in creating the problem that we're talking about today? Well, the first thing to observe is that a lot of these businesses have been um, propped up by venture capital and just sort of running at a massive loss and burning through money. And so in many respects, consumers have benefited from uh, incredibly low prices for something that's quite labour intensive. I'm thinking of speedy grocery deliveries like the milk run um, business mm. where where people could 
get uh, groceries delivered to their door for the same price as if they had had bought it in store, despite all that extra labour having to go into rushing around the inner city with your groceries. So in many ways, consumers have had it very good for, for a long time. And some of those businesses have, have had to consolidate. Some of them have gone bust. And maybe there will have to be a change in, in consumer behaviour, uh, including you know paying a dollar or two more for a food order. Mm. Businesses already do this at the moment. The businesses that actually employ their own delivery staff have different prices. If you order a pizza from Domino's, you will get your pizza for a lot cheaper if you go into the store and you pick up the pizza yourself than if you have it delivered to you. Mm. So consumers can actually, you know, they, they can wrap their brains around this concept that if you're getting this extra service of delivery that that costs more. It's not, it's not an outlandish thing to ask of people. It's not just gig workers that could be affected by this bill. There are a number of other changes that aim to improve conditions for labour hire workers and casuals. Can you quickly run us through what those will be? Because for the person working in a convenience store who was worried about whether they might be breaking their visa or what the laws might be for them, they'll now have the protection of the criminal law. The casual worker who is supporting people will have some rights to be able to convert to more secure work, and that'll be life-changing. First of all, one change that will apply to all all industries and all all types of employment is the wage theft changes. So Labor wants to criminalise wage theft. Now, we know there's going to be a differentiation where if it's an inadvertent underpayment, that's not going to be criminal, but if it's deliberate, it will be criminal. Uh, Then there are the casual changes where they basically want to create greater rights to conversion and therefore to get the the, um, benefits of being a permanent part-time worker or a full-time worker for people who are basically stuck permanently in casual employment despite working the same rosters as people who are permanent part-time or full-time. So that will mean losing the loading that you get the 15 or 25% extra for being a casual but gaining other rights such as, uh, you know, having leave, sick leave, annual leave, that sort of thing. And lastly, there's the same job, same pay reforms, which is basically if an employer has a pay deal with their workforce and then they choose to bring in external labour hire workers who are employed by a labour hire company, you can't pay those workers that are coming in, which you know might be for surge capacity because you have busy periods that you don't want to bring a permanent employee from, but you need some extra help, mm. that they have to pay those people the same as the ones that are employed under their own pay deal so that it doesn't become an incentive to bring in external labour at a cheaper cost, which is what labour would describe as a loophole. Okay, so a number of different industrial reforms there. This bill is set to be introduced into Parliament this week. Is it likely to pass? So Labor was able to get a very ambitious piece of industrial legislation through in the final few months of last year called the Secure Jobs Better Pay Bill, and they were able to pass it with the Greens and David Pocock. Hmm. The Greens are generally pro-workers' rights. They, They want to add, you know, the right to disconnect so when you're on, you're on. When you're off, you're off. 
uh, as part of this legislation but are very likely to support it. And if Lydia Thorpe votes with the Greens, that would leave Labor only one vote short, in which case they could try and appeal to Jackie Lambie or to David Pocock. Now, David Pocock won a lot of concessions last time, uh, a lot of amendments and some changes in other areas of law, like setting up a, a, a committee that advises the government about the adequacy of welfare payments. So depending on how badly Labor needs their votes, we might see a similar dynamic where the crossbench can drive a hard bargain. But there are some things that are working in Labor's favour this time. All of these policies were very clearly articulated before the election in the loopholes bill, unlike last time where they had introduced the idea of multi-employer bargaining, which it was not clear that they were going to do before the election. So they've got a clearer mandate for these changes. They've also been consulting for a lot longer. They've been in talks with um, unions and employers and gig economy platforms for months and months and months. So the sorts of process arguments that got run last year about it being sprung on people and none of the consequences had been thought through, I think those arguments are a bit weaker this time. But of course, employers are going to argue that there are unintended consequences, that it's going to raise costs for business. They particularly dislike the same job, same pay element of this reform because they'd say it will harm, you know, employers in the mining sector who need to bring in service contractors uh, and they'll be disadvantaged as a result of this. So there will be a, a serious amount of resistance from employers, but the crossbench might be more open to it this time because it was flagged clearly before the election. That was Paul Karp. He's the chief political correspondent for Guardian Australia. You can follow Paul's coverage of the debate on the bill this week at theguardian.com and you can also read his piece on Labor's proposal. It's called Australians May Pay Tiny Bit Extra on Pizza Delivery as Government Announces New Gig Economy Rules. That's it for today. This episode was produced by Karish Maluthria. Sound design, mixing and our theme music was by Joe Coney. The executive producer was Hannah Parks. I'm Jane Lee, and if you like this episode, don't forget to subscribe or follow Full Story wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also leave a review. Catch you next time.